Always begin my day with Boyer's Coffee in the morning, and I suggest you should as well. Rocky Mountain Thunder, Aspen Gold, so many uh, great flavors to get you going. They're a locally owned and operated company. They began in 1965, as I love to tell you. They're environmentally conscious. They're a great community partner, and they've been uh, a longtime proud coffee partner of the Colorado Rockies. And you can enter a chance to win, in fact, a Rockies prize pack now if you go to boyerscoffee.com slash Rockies. Uh, I have uh, at least one of their mochas, maybe two, during every broadcast at Coors Field when I'm at the Boyers uh, Cafe. Give them a shout or uh, find them in a local supermarket. Once again, it's boyerscoffee.com. All kinds of great deals going on through the end of the month of March. Boyerscoffee.com. Love my friends at Steel. They really help you get a job done. Steel, S-T-I-H-L, a company built for real power, tools built for real people, and dealers, more than 9,000 of them around the country, who deliver real service. They're the official handheld outdoor power equipment of the Colorado Rockies, and their equipment is simply outstanding. It lasts forever. It is at the very, very top of the food chain when it comes to chainsaws, when it comes to blowers, when it comes to trimmers. And I have a, a garage full of all of those tools, and they absolutely will help you get the job done. Spring is around the corner despite the recent big snowstorm, so you're going to need, need your steel products. Again, find them at steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L. SteelDealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rockies bench coach Mike Redmond. What does a major league bench coach do? Well, he's making decisions for the now, and I'm trying to prepare him for situations that could come up, whether it's a double switch or possible pinch hit for, for the visiting team. Uh, maybe I see something in the in the dugout with a guy warming up or getting ready to hit. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast, number 88. If you're like me, keeping count. And if you are, you are strange. But uh, thanks as always for joining us and it was a wonderful week last week. Got to spend the entire week down in Scottsdale. It is my favorite time of year. I've told you that before. March in Scottsdale, the weather is typically warm. It was a little cooler, by the way, last week. But uh, it, you know, there's a buzz in the air because of baseball. There is also a lot of folks floating around. Uh, people getting out of the snow and. Yes, I missed the uh, big snowstorm uh, conveniently enough, but I did get back in time to, to shovel. So uh, I wanted to make sure that you didn't think I completely missed out. But it was just great to be down there. Great to, to see baseball. It was awesome to see fans in the stands. We broadcast a few games uh, on AT&T Sportsnet last week. And they had as many as a little more than 2,300. And I know that that's not a ton, but you were watching people out on the berm and kids rolling down the hill and it made it feel normal, which was um, awesome to see. Hey, listen, I'm going to get to some spring observations in a moment. I will tell you that uh, our special guest today is Mike Redmond, who's the former Marlins manager. He had a nice big league career behind the plate, and uh, he has been the longtime now 
bench coach for Buddy Black. He's a, he's an interesting guy. He's a funny guy. He is a great guy. And I think you're going to enjoy uh, the interview today with Mike Redmond. We'll get to that in a moment. This was a tough weekend uh, for me. Uh, I know I told you I was down in spring training, but uh, I lost my dad on Saturday night. He was uh, a month shy of 86, and I thought my dad was going to live into his mid to to upper 90s. I mean, he was driving about six, seven weeks ago, uh, but uh, had some some health issues, and and unfortunately things turned uh, for the worse very quickly. But I wanted to share with you some reflections on my dad, because uh, you only get one of those. And for me, uh, my dad was great to me. He is probably the biggest reason why I came to love sports, came to play sports, and, and continue to try to play uh, sports throughout my life. He he grew up in the Bronx on the Grand Concourse. And interestingly, he grew up literally two blocks from Yankee Stadium, but he had a lifelong disdain for the Rockies. Uh, if you're from New York, you root for one team. You don't root for both the Yankees and the Mets. And when he was growing up, there were three teams. There were, there were naturally the Yankees, there were the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then the New York Giants. And he would walk across the bridge, uh, across the East River, over into the upper part of Manhattan, and went to the Polo Grounds because his father, who passed along the love of sports to him, was a big New York Giant football fan and baseball fan. And so my dad got a job when he was 16 working the press gate at the Polo Grounds. It was 1951. And he was at 70 of the 77 home games that year. And yes, if you are wondering, for those that uh, know their baseball history, he was at the shot heard around the world game when Bobby Thompson hit that famous home run off of Ralph Branca and the famous call by Russ Hodges, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. Well, my dad was, after he would get uh, the tickets, if you will, rip the ticket stubs for the folks who were working in the press, he would get to go to the games. And he was sitting out in the outfield stands. He literally jumped over the wall and, like so many, just ran on the field in pandemonium. He has so many autographs, by the way, from from back then. I've never been a big autograph guy, but he showed me uh, a number of his books that he he still has, and we'll be going through his stuff here shortly. But, I mean, he had multiple autographs from Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and Leo DeRocher and, and all of the greats from that time frame. But he passed along uh, the love of of sports in general. And one thing you don't lose is, you know, who you're affiliated with, you know, certainly growing up. And he adopted the Mets after the Giants left for San Francisco and the, when the Mets came to be in, in 1962 and passed that uh, love of the Mets on to me, the team I rooted for until I started working uh, for the Colorado Rockies. And the Mets... In 1969, the Miracle Mets uh, came out of nowhere, basically, and behind Tom Seaver and others, won a world championship. And that was kind of my first recollection of really, you know, following baseball. I was, you know, a kid and and uh, and watching those World Series games with my dad. And, you know, it was a special time. And uh, I remember a story in particular, and I've told this 
on the air before, and I'm going to share it with you again now, about why I have never believed in booing a professional athlete. And that is, I was at a New York, excuse me, a New York Mets game against San Francisco Giants, and I probably was, you know, five, six years old, and they were going through the starting lineup, and or the Giants, and they said playing second base, Tito Fuentes, and anyhow, I'm booing in my, you know, little high pitched voice, and and then they got to Willie Mays batting third and center field, number twenty four, Willie Mays, and I, and I booed. My dad grabbed my arm, and he said, he said, never boo a major league player. The worst major league player is still a great player, and he said, and beyond that, the guy you just booed is the greatest player ever. And uh, so I know I've told that story before, but I wanted to share it again. It's something that uh, my dad uh, passed on to me. And we watched a lot of sports together. We watched the Mets, naturally. We watched the New York football giants. And through most of my you know, adolescence, they were terrible. I'll never forget when they, they seemingly had a ball game one against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, they were just running out the clock. So I went in the uh, kitchen to make a sandwich. And I hear my dad scream, literally. It was the Joe Pisarczyk, after they had put a knee down, they decided to hand off to, to Larry Zonka. Joe Pisarczyk put it in his thigh guard. The ball hits the ground. Clean one hop perfectly to Herm Edwards. Yes, that Herm Edwards, who ran it just a few yards into the end zone in Philadelphia, snatched the victory uh, from the Giants. But uh, I remember that one very well, as do all longtime New York football Giant fans. Um Got to share some Super Bowl victories with my dad and uh, some some great giant teams led by Lawrence Taylor. And I got to share uh, from afar the 86 Mets run because I was already out uh, in Aspen in my first job in television. But, uh, you know, we would talk uh, before and after every game. I remember growing up calling games into a microphone, into a a tape recorder, on the New York Knicks, I would score the Knicks every night. The Knicks of of Bradley and DeBusher and, and Clyde Frazier and Earl the Pearl Monroe and, of course, Willis Reed. Um, and again, that all emanated from my relationship with my dad and his love of sports and passing it on. And I'll share a few more things uh, if you indulge me on my dad. He had a love affair not only with sports but with theater and um after high school, went to college for a little while and then, and then dropped out to become a professional actor. And he was doing some live television and did stuff uh, professionally up in the Catskills. And he ultimately met my mom uh, in the Catskills. And um, he was, like many, a struggling actor. So he eventually did some other things. And he decided, and I'm very proud of this next thing, he decided in his late 30s that he was going to go to law school. My dad was was... If I could brag on my late dad for a moment, he was very, very bright. And so he went back to uh, to law school and he graduated in, in uh, at the age of 42 from Fordham Law School. And it was uh, shortly after that he graduated that, unfortunately, I lost my mom in a car accident. And he found out literally two months later that he passed the bar exam. And he became an attorney at 42, and he had a successful practice in New York for uh, about 25 years before moving out to Colorado in retirement. And I'm and I'm very proud of the fact that he had the gumption and the perseverance to to change gears in life when very few people do change gears. 
late 30s and as I said early 40s and, and, and embarked on a new career and he was you know he was successful at that and um, I think it set a good example for me that you know you can change your game plan uh, it's never too late to do something different and so you know I, I've always been very proud of that aspect of uh, of his life and you know I'm glad he was able to move to Colorado and he would go to to Rockies games and uh, he rooted for the Rockies, except when they were playing the Mets. And I would, and I would tell him, Dad, listen, I know you're coming down tonight. Do me a favor. Um, don't go overboard with all the Mets paraphernalia, okay? And we'd have a have a good little laugh uh, about that. But uh, there were many good times that uh, I got to share with my dad. I remember having him on the radio back several years ago when I was still working at the Fan, and the response to his storytelling about growing up in New York and some of his reflections on baseball and and other things that he followed were were interesting obviously you know hopefully to me naturally but but it was there was a really good response from the audience and i know that was special to me personally and when i told my dad that there were a lot of people who uh, reached out afterward that that really enjoyed that so you got to get them on again that sort of thing and and that's the sad part because you can never go down uh, that road again. He was um, he was a tough guy. He was a guy that um, was really proud of of you know his his grandkids. My dad was my biggest fan when I was playing, and back before parents were at every game as they are today, which I think is a wonderful thing. Uh, oftentimes, my dad may have been the only parent there. For uh, certainly for baseball games, obviously football games, most parents were there. Uh, but I remember, and in the last few days, I've had a lot of friends of mine that I played with in high school, who were very close friends then and remain close friends now, reach out and, and not only pass along their condolences, but also pass along stories about my dad and how they felt he helped. Uh, raise them as well in in certain ways and that's probably the greatest tribute uh you can say to a parent that um that they were you know a great dad a great parent but also a great dad and a great parent to to the the friends of that kid so that is very special to me as well so i i I did want to share that and i guess i'll leave you with this this one kind of last thought of my dad kind of he was a tough ornery guy and as I mentioned and so in his his last few weeks when he had gotten out of the hospital to come home uh, in the hospital he refused to use a walker when they said hey you know you, you could be a fall risk he said I've been around 85 plus years he said I haven't fallen yet and he wouldn't use a walker and he came home and there was a hospital bed there uh, that they had put in the house, and he refused to u- use that, and said, "I'm going to sleep in my own bed, even though it was up higher." And he did to the to the day he passed. And uh, I would take him out to the store a couple times, and you know he would he would walk around uh, you know the store, and as it uh, moved or declined, unfortunately, pretty quickly, my stepmother, you know, when he asked to go to the store, she said, "You know, honey, it's it just." It's too hard on you right now from a, from a breathing standpoint. And she said, I'll take you if, if you, you know, use a wheelchair. 
And he said, I'm never getting in an effing wheelchair. And um, I admire, you know, his, his toughness and his his uh, defiance, if you will, uh, to his last day. So, Dad, I love you very much. Rest easy. And if it's possible off of that to make a segue back to baseball and some of my reflections from the spring, I'm going to uh, do that right now. First guy I saw in a ball game we did was Austin Gomber, who was the biggest name, if you will, in the trade from the Cardinals for Nolan Arenado. And Austin Gomber, I hadn't seen him pitch a lot. I was really impressed with him. And so far, he's had a, a great spring. He has command of four pitches. He'll run the fastball up to, to 94. He has a an outstanding curveball, showed a very good changeup, has a good slider. He's not afraid. Austin Gomber is going to help the Rockies. Really impressed with what I saw. Kyle Freeland. He looks like the Kyle Freeland... Uh, uh, of a large measure what we saw last year, but certainly of 2018. He looks like that guy that uh, was fourth in the Cy Young voting uh, in 2018. That was great to see. Uh, a guy that um, has been really impressive, and now you keep your fingers crossed because of injury, is Brendan Rodgers. I know he did a hamstring, and I know Brendan Rodgers has battled a lot of injuries. And I know the most important ability, as the saying goes, is availability. And you hope he doesn't have one of those careers where he's always got a nagging injury or that sort of thing. But Brendan Rodgers showed up in a big way this first part of spring. He was catching a lot of barrels, hitting a ton of balls hard. He hit a couple home runs and was off to a really impressive spring. Hopefully the hamstring is, is a mild one and he can be ready to go on April 1st. The Rockies desperately need Brendan Rodgers, here stating the obvious, to be a guy to be an impactful guy. He was drafted fourth overall because many people thought he would be a a big-time bat at the big league level, and we need to start to see that emergence. And uh, as I said, uh, if by uh, the indications of of the first part of spring, it looks like he has turned a corner. Now he just needs good health. Ryan McMahon impressed me. He hit a 97-mile-an-hour fastball that was Uh, above the belt, he drove it out to center field. That is a pitch that he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't catching up to in years past. He's really worked hard the last 12, 14 months on shortening his swing, and we've seen some evidence uh, of that. So that was great to see. Other spring observations from my my week down in Scottsdale, C.J. Crone, who the Rockies uh, went out and signed. This is a guy that's hit 30 home runs, 29 home runs in, in different major league seasons. He's had a really good spring. He looks uh, uh, the part of a middle-of-the-order guy. You know, he's adequate at, at first base, but he's going he, to be a presence. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to hit some balls in the gap. Uh, he has had uh, a very solid spring, so been impressed with C.J. Crone. Scott Oberg, talking about guys that you keep your fingers crossed for good health. You know that he's battled the blood clots over the last several years on three different occasions. So far... Uh, in the spring, he's been marvelous. He's been lights out, and that will help the bullpen immensely if Scott Oberg returns to form and uh, and good health. Another guy who really emerged last year, who you never count out, is Josh Fuentes. Fuentes having a, a big spring. 
He's driving the ball all over the ballpark. He's playing great defense and at first base. He made uh, in a game we did. He made two really fine plays at third base. He he looked uh, a little bit like his cousin uh, over there. He plays with a smile on his face, with great enthusiasm. I don't know if he's an everyday starter, but he's going to be on the field uh, a, a fair amount. Uh, to say the least. And so Josh Fuente is another guy that kind of stood out to me while I was down in Scottsdale. All right, here are a few names to keep an eye on for down the road, maybe not too far into the uh, future. Justin Lawrence. Now, he missed uh, time last year. Justin Lawrence throws from kind of a a mid-three-quarter arm slot, and he'll run his fastball up into the upper 90s. Uh, He's an intriguing guy. He's a power guy that I think uh, in time can help the Rockies. Colton Welker is a young guy the Rockies uh, drafted. He can swing it. And uh, at some point in time, and it, it probably be it's in 2021, you're going to see uh, him called up. Another guy the Rockies got from the Cincinnati Reds in the Jeff Hoffman deal is an outfielder by the name of Jamison Hanna. He played at Dallas Baptist. He's a Texas kid. He runs well. He swings the bat from the left side. He's not a big guy. He can play center, can play all three outfield positions. He has really impressed uh, the Rockies organization. Seen him hit uh, a home run down there. Seen him drive the ball around the ballpark, take some walks, play a very solid center field, plus runner. He's, He's kind of an intriguing guy uh, to be aware of. Jamison Hanna. So there's a a few names to be aware of as uh, we move forward in the waning days of March uh, before April 1st when the Dodgers come to town for four to begin the uh, 162-game season. By the way, newsflash, the Dodgers are still really good. Saw them uh, down there take on uh, the Rockies in one of the exhibition games. All right, it's time for our Deal Home Loans interview of the week. And uh, I teased it earlier. This guy is a super guy. He's one of my favorite uh, people to be around. He's funny. He's also a terrific baseball guy. He works with the Rockies catchers. He's a right-hand man as the bench coach to Buddy Black. Former big leaguer Mike Redmond. You know, we reference this on television all the time, and and other announcers do, and and this has gone on for years and years. But my guess is the average fan doesn't fully understand what a bench coach does. So I'm going to let you explain. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess, you know, a bench coach probably depends on the manager uh, as far as their roles and duties. But, uh, you know, just – I can give you some insight with Buddy and I. I mean, I, I do a lot of different things. I, yeah, For example, in spring training, I run spring training, so I do the day-to-day schedules and work closely with uh, Buddy and and really take his vision of, of spring training and how he wants it laid out and, and put that on paper and, and then coordinate with the coaches to make sure everything runs smoothly. And... Uh, Hopefully flawlessly, but that's not that's the impossible task. But uh, our coaches do a great job of of helping me out. Uh, you know, lineups. Uh, we talk a lot about lineups. We talk about uh, you know when guys need days off and and try to plan that out. Um, we talk a lot in game about situations, about 
pitching, about hitting, about, uh, you know, maybe if it's who to pitch to or who not to pitch to. He bounces a lot of stuff off uh, of me during the course of a game or even spring training. So, you know, we, we talk a lot of baseball. We talk a lot of strategy. But at the same time, too, you know, uh, I can make him laugh sometimes in, in the, the, you know, most intense situations, which I think he appreciates. And, and that helps him to relax, too, when he, you start making these important decisions. I, I, I think it helps. As well that I've I do I've had some ma- uh, managing experience so I've been through some things and 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 been through some situations not all good and have learned from them and and so uh, I think my catcher's perspective is also uh, helpful as well so uh, it's been fun uh, it was a new role to me I'd never been a bench coach uh, before and I've learned a lot I learned a lot from Buddy. And it's like anything in baseball, the, the longer you stay in it, the more you learn. You know, Red, obviously you were a catcher. You just mentioned that there, there have been a number of catchers like yourself who've gone on to manage, and you did that with the Marlins. Did you find, even though you were behind the plate and you were, you know, orchestrating, you were involved in every pitch, that when you were on that top step of the dugout, whether it's as a manager or right next to the manager now as a bench coach, the game moves really fast? Yeah, it, it definitely does. It, and, and you have to try to stay. And, and one thing I, I've always tried to do as a bench coach is just try to stay ahead of the game. You know, like Buddy's making decisions for the now, and I'm trying to prepare him for situations that could come up, whether it's a double switch or possible pinch hit for, for the visiting team. Uh, maybe I see something in the in the dugout with a guy warming up or getting ready to hit. So, uh, you know, the more eyes you have on the, on the game, the, the better. But you're right. I mean, it is. You know, it's a, it's definitely easier at home, right? Because you have the time to kind of process and and process the move that's made, and and sometimes those moves get second guessed. But when you're in the heat of the battle and you're trying to make these decisions in split second, it is tough. And, and uh, but I feel like for the most for the most part, we're always prepared for what's coming and and make the best uh, decision. You know, not all of them work out, right? I mean, I, I've been on both ends of that as a bench coach and a and a manager, but I would say we're prepared for them and we make the best decision based on our information. One of my favorite Clint Hurdle lines, and he had many read, and I know you've heard this, is he goes, "I we get paid to first guess, not second guess," and and that's a tough that's a, that's a tough gig. Hey, what? Well, what will be different this year in that it's almost a flashback. Last year, 60 games, the DH, now you're playing National League games again, and probably, honestly, as you know, in the in the future, it'll be back to where everybody's got the DH. But did you have to reset your mind a little bit? Um, I don't think so. I think I'm just so conditioned in the National League game uh, that it really hasn't been, you know, I, I think just, you know, making sure that, you know, all the pitchers are hitting and bunting and getting all their work in. Uh, although our, our pitchers haven't started hitting in games yet, but they will start after the off day here in the next couple of days. But, uh, you know, the, the American League game, which I, I personally like the DH, uh, just, that's just my own personal thought. But, uh, you know, you almost kind of fall asleep in, in, a, in, a, in an American League game sometimes because there's just not a whole lot of moves that get made other than pitching. So, uh, 
you know, in a National League game, you're always on your toes because there's pinch hitters. There's that pitcher spot's always coming. Are they going to hit? Are they not going to hit? Are they going to bunt? Uh, you know, are they going to make a pitching change now with the three batter uh, minimum? I mean, there's this is all. There's a lot more going on and a lot more to think about. So, uh, uh, we're used to it. And like I said, we talk so much about the game that, that, uh, you know, we're always prepared for, uh, and we've grown up, uh, you know, buddy too on a, in a National League situation. So we're, we're always ready for that, that pitcher hitting. Yeah. Hey, Red, what have your impressions been? You're, you're a little more than halfway through spring training. Impressions of the roster of, of the group most likely that you're going to bring north? I mean, I, I'm a, I'm impressed. I, I mean, our starting pitching, I, I, I like, uh, you know, getting a chance to watch Gomber pitch. He, he looks really good and confident. I think he's settled in really well. I, I think our pitchers that, you know, Freeland and Marquez and Sens is feeling good. You know, those guys have really uh, helped to make him feel welcome. So I think you're seeing that translate in the way he pitches. You know, I think our starting pitching is going to be, you know, our strength. Uh, going forward, and and it's fun to see some of these young guys get a chance now to play and and to go about their work. The 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 energy and the vibe is is outstanding. Guys are playing hard. Uh, there's opportunity out there for guys, and and you know it's fun to sit back and kind of just watch them go out and compete. And I think if you ask any coach or manager or bench coach. Uh, that's what you want. You want to create competition and you want guys to go out there and, and have fun and see what they can do and, and, and compete. And uh, that's going to make us better. You work closely with the catchers and it's a, it's a, basically a new group. It's guys you're familiar with because Elias Diaz was, was with you guys last year. Dom Nunez has been in the organization for a long time. He does have some big league time. Obviously, Tony yeah. Walters is now in Pittsburgh. What do you like about this tandem? Well, I mean, obviously the, you know, the right left-handed, you know, version, right? I mean, Diaz being a right-handed hitter, Tom um, being a left-handed uh, hitter, that gives you the, the flexibility there to, if we do match up the left-right, uh, it gives you that flexibility. Uh, you know, I give both guys, both catchers, uh, a ton of credit for being patient and uh, working hard despite, you know, getting a lot of reps last year. Uh, I know – you know, Diaz, he, you know, came over and, and we worked on some things and I give him all the credit in the world to go out there and, and some, make some changes. And I think for those who have been watching, uh, us play, he looks really good in experience having a, having an outstanding spring. And Dom too, I mean, he's a young guy that's just been kind of waiting in the wings to get an opportunity. I'm very impressed with his leadership and uh, confidence and game calling and all the things that it takes to be a great catcher. He's, you know, they both uh, look outstanding and, and look like they're ready to go and really just stepped up and stepped in and and helped to lead this pitching staff. And I can't – I'm really excited to, to see what these guys can do during the course of a 162-game season. If you had to put it in a rough order and you, and you were an outstanding catcher in, in your big league career – if you had to put it again in a rough order, sequencing, reading swings, rapport uh, with a pitcher, the ability to block, the the ability to control a, a running game in concert with the pitcher, how how would you order that priority group, uh, if you will? Yeah, that's a tough one because you know I know you know right now the focus is so much on receiving, 
and uh, that the receiving metrics and getting you know balls turned into strikes, and which I do think is important. I, I don't have that up there in my list, and this is just my own personal opinion. Of I don't have that number one. I have you know uh, game calling, working with pitchers, uh, blocking. Throwing. I mean, I think blocking is so un- underrated in our game because, you know, you talk about turning certain amount of balls into strikes to, you know, have that be equivalent to a run. You know, every 90 feet matters, right? So any ball in the dirt that a catcher doesn't block is an easy 90 feet. So I think that that, that you know, plays a huge role in, in catchers and probably should be graded a lot higher than it is. But – uh, I do still, you know, believe in throwing, and I think eventually the the, the game is going to get faster, and and then throwing is going to become more and more important. But I still really, I mean, I don't know that I could create them all out, but I can tell you that game calling for me is important, and uh, blocking, throwing, receiving, you know, those things are all up there in the top four or five, and and uh, you know, we feel fortunate that our guys. Uh, Dom and, and Diaz are going to be uh, really good at, at all of those. Hey, when you when you look at uh, game calling and pitch framing, which we were just touching on, uh, I've gone off on this a bunch. The last thing I want to see is a robo umpire because there is an art, as you would know better than anyone, to catching. And I, I have a you know a son who's a college catcher, and way back I I caught and and I would hate to see that element of the game lost. I would imagine you feel the same way. I do. I do. And, and, you know, I've seen the, the, you know, the technology and the, uh, you know, the robo umpire, whatever they call it, uh, ABS. Uh, and it's cool. I mean, it's, it's really cool. And it's amazing how fast they can tell whether it's a ball or strike, you know, as far as, uh, you know, going forward, I don't know. Um, it changes the catching position forever. I mean, the, the catching, if, if this becomes, you know, the way we do it, where, you know, the you have a computer telling you balls and strikes, I mean, this, this definitely would change catching forever. Uh, you know, the receiving doesn't, won't matter anymore because it's really where the ball crosses the plate. Um, you know, throwing, and blocking would would still matter, but but the, basically the you know which they grade most catchers on now is how they receive is gone, and so I think that that would be sad um, for me personally, knowing that how much pride throughout my career I took on um, catching and receiving and blocking and calling the game and all those those little things, and you know I feel a lot of stake in this too because. You know, my son is a catcher as well. So uh, all the things that I've focused on him uh, throughout his, you know, young career uh, would be gone as well. Hey, hey, by the way, because, you know, you caught a Gonzaga and we know the, the high school game and certainly the college game. It's always, you know, the catcher's looking to his right and then he's looking at his wristband, you know, in terms of yeah. what, what was called from the dugout. Are there times at the major league level where in certain situations you will call a pitch or a location? You know, maybe, I mean, probably in every once in a while. I, I mean, but most of the time our guys are, you know, like 
sometimes I remember when I was playing and sometimes I'd get stuck. You know, I'd just get stuck. I wasn't sure what to do and, and look at the pitching coach or whatever and they'd help me. You know, uh, it doesn't happen very often and most, most of the team, there's so much communication in between innings where, you know, we, we talk about all the hitters and Fosse does a great job of talking about the hitters coming up next inning. So these guys have a pretty good idea of before they step out on that field, kind of what their plan is. So, but, you know, I, I would say, you know, that happens every once in a while. Not, not, uh, rarely, but it does, you know, it has happened. I mean, I, like I said, when I caught, I, I look in there every once in a while just to make sure that I was calling the right pitch because there's times where you just, just get stuck and you're not sure what to do. We'll have more with Mike Redman in a moment. But uh, love the opportunity to tell you about a group that has saved me money through the years and continues to do so, Ideal Home Loans. It's Brent Ivinson's team, so if you just purchased a home, you need to give them a call at 303-867-7000. If you're going to refinance, absolutely give them a call, 303-867-7000. If you need to consolidate debt, also a good idea to give them a call. It's Ideal Home Loans. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They're celebrating two decades in the Denver market. They've expanded uh, down to Arizona. Uh, They have a great, great reputation, a deserved reputation. They're going to help you out. You're going to be very, very pleased. I tell people uh, all the time that if you need help in uh, the regard of refinancing or a mortgage partner, give Ideal Home Loans a call. I've sent a lot of friends their direction. 303-867-7000. Once again, is the number 303-867-7000. It is Ideal Home Loans. Now more with the Rockies bench coach and former Marlins manager, Mike Redmond. You got a bust-out player this year, position player. You have, you have a guy that, uh, or, or maybe a couple of guys that you feel like are ready to to take a significant uh, step forward. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that it's. You know, I have. I just. I'm just excited. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I can pick a guy. I don't think that's fair. But um, I, I I know that we have guys that are hungry and are. are Taking advantage of the opportunity, and they know that there's uh, at bats out there for them, and and it's going to be fun to see them go out there and, and compete and establish themselves as major league players, and help help us to uh, win ball games, and and that's going to be fun to watch. I want to take you back. Growing up in 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 Spokane, you many people may not realize you have a twin brother, and and you both are you know. Uh, good enough players that you can go and play at the time in the Pac-10 because Gonzaga played in the Pac-10. Is that right? Right, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, how cool was it to play with your brother in college? It was awesome, man. Uh, you know, I think I, I – I don't know that I appreciated it as much at the time as I do now looking back. Um, you know, just because I think we were so competitive. But at the same time, too, you know, it, it was – you know, we were very fortunate to be able to go to the same college and play together, you know, um, for a long time. They're all, I mean, my brother was on my team, every one of my teams. So, uh, it was, it was, it was neat. Uh, we still talk about it a lot. Uh, he's still a huge part, obviously, of, of my life and, and, um, my kid, my sons, both my sons, you know, my, Luki being a senior in high school, he's there and helps him. And, and kind of when I leave, he kind of takes over and 
and uh, works with him on his hitting and catching and all those things. And, and uh, you know, he's, you know, we grew up in a baseball family, so we, we love the game. I still talk to him every day, and we talk about – he watches most of the games and talk, talks about baseball all the time. So uh, to have a, a, a brother like that, you know, that knows what's going on and knows the game and there to help support, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Now, he he was a shortstop, right, in college? Yeah, shortstop played. He was a company of a utility, mostly shortstop. Played some infield, second base, third. But then I ended up catching too when I left. When I signed uh, uh, with the Marlins my junior year, he came in and I had an off season. I helped him a little bit, and he ended up catching some games as well for them. So uh, he did a little bit of everything. I was going to say, so he probably tells you that he has all the athletic ability since he was always in the middle of the diamond, right? Well, and he'd definitely say that he was a lot tougher than I was, too, which I don't know about that. But. <laughs> you know, you, you, I always say this uh, with Jeff Houston, one of my partners on the air, that uh, I love his path because, you know, we, we so frequently talk about the Bryce Harpers and the, the guys who were first-round picks and anointed at an early age as a can't-miss type of talent. And, and Huey was undrafted. You were undrafted as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I – I know when I was back playing, I mean, and I would say this, you know, today, I mean, I would never change uh, anything about my path to the big leagues. Now, do I wish that I would have been a first rounder and, and had it been easier? Of course, uh, <laughs> because it was really hard. And sometimes it got real dark, right? Not not knowing whether I was going to get enough opportunities to move on. So, but it, it made me who I was. I mean, I, it made me tougher, made me tougher mentally, uh, made me work harder. It made me appreciate it. I don't, I, I didn't spend a lot of my minor leagues worrying about whether I was going to get put on the roster or, you know, how many hits I needed to get or I just played. I played to go out there and, and win and wanted to play as long as I could. I got an opportunity and fortunately I, I played, played well and, and was played well enough to stay. And uh, I hit, and but at the same time too, I was always a catch first guy, and and uh, that finally figured out how to hit when I got to the big league. So, uh, but and, and I would say that path helps me today too as a coach, you know, to not just you know focus on. Sometimes you focus a lot on on the the guys that you know are going to be there for a long time. There's there's other guys out there that. And can play and be be uh, big impacts on team that maybe sometimes could get overlooked. So um, that that gives me a little bit different perspective than a lot of guys uh, as well. Hey Ray, correct me if I'm wrong. What late, at one point in your minor league career you get hurt and the either the staff or the organization obviously gave you an option and said, hey, listen, you know, you can rehab and keep playing or, or we'll put you on the coaching staff because they saw your leadership and, and your yeah. you know, your acumen. And they actually gave you a decision to make way before you were a big leaguer. Yeah. Yeah. In, in uh, 97, I got to the big leagues in 98. Um, I'd, come, I'd had shoulder surgery and that spring training I came in and there wasn't a spot. They had signed – a couple guys in AAA, and I was, you know, I already spent a couple years in AA, and my spot was gone, and, and you know, they, and I knew that coming in, but I was like, you know, hey, man, I'll figure, we'll figure it out, I'll, I'll still have a place, and towards the end of spring training, they're like, hey, man, 
you know, we don't have a, a spot for you. We'll send you back to double A. That's kind of like a player coach. And, you know, you'll play with this kind of split time maybe with this other kid and whatever. So I basically had to go in there and tell them, listen, I don't, I don't want the coach thing. Like, if, just give me an opportunity to go as a regular player. I'll go back to double A. It's fine. I don't care. Give me one more shot to be a player. And if it doesn't work, then whatever you guys want to do with me, uh, you know, go for it. Um, and after a few thoughts, uh, they agreed and let me do it. And I went to double A and guy got hurt in triple A, Randy Knorr. Um, and I started hitting and I, I went to triple A, was to triple A for about a month with Freddie Gonzalez as my manager. And, and, uh, and then that's when we traded in the big leagues. Mike Piazza came to the Marlins for like seven days. And, uh, as soon as Piazza got traded, I got called up to the big leagues. So. Uh, that was my opportunity, and I think, and and you hit over three hundred in in that uh, that stint that first year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I I uh, I think I hit uh, yeah, three around three twenty. I think my first, you know, I was a two fifty career minor league hitter, and I went to the big leagues and hit three over three hundred. I think my first five years or six years. It, that, that's in, that is interesting that that you actually perform much better offensively as a big leaguer than, than a minor leaguer. Was there a reason? Yeah, they didn't throw the breaking ball in the dirt in the big leagues. They threw a lot more strikes. So I didn't swing at bad pitches when I got to the big leagues because everything was around the plate. I felt like it was a little bit easier to hit. It seems crazy, but yeah. And Mike, you know, you knew this was coming. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you on those occasions that you weren't hitting. You kind of had a unique way of maybe getting out of a slump. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I yeah, I used to go into the cage just with not much on and uh, take some swings out there with to fire up the troops. And uh, in '03, we did it, and uh, I did it, and we went on like a. 12 or 14 game win streak. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that, that part of, of my baseball career will never leave me. I used to be laughing about it all the time. But, yeah, I did it. And it was just my way of getting people to laugh and getting people to relax and getting the guys to just have fun. And, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. I just put probably one of my claims to fans. Maybe yeah. the biggest one. You you want to know what? That's a bad visual. But listen, uh, uh, how many guys? How many guys now do enough little homework on their coaching staff that they break out? Hey, Red, we've lost four in a row. Time for you to take some uh, hacks in the cage. Has that come up yet? In, as a either manager or now bench coach? Well, it has come up a few times. Uh, I know that. Uh... Yeah, Tony and I talked about it a couple of times, and I said, "Hey, man, I, those days are over, man. Like, I, uh, I got to leave that to the players. They got to figure out their own path now. That's are over." But it, we have got a couple chuckles about it, Pete. Yeah, who is who is most likely of the guys that uh, you've either played with, coached, managed in the last uh, you know ten, fifteen years to do something similar to what you did? Well, I mean, Kevin Millar, I mean, we were team, teammates forever, so we were teammates, and, and I know he gives me a bad time on the show, uh, I see all the time, so, but, uh, yeah, we were, we were, we were teammates from A-ball on, so, uh, he was, he was fun, and he liked that fun, and I, I think that that's, and he was another non-drafted guy, but, uh, I think 
You know, I just had fun. I, I wanted to make sure that I went through it. Uh, as long as I was playing, as long as I had a uniform on my back, I was going to have fun and uh, try to win and enjoy it. And, and I did that and, you know, winning a World Series, and I accomplished everything that I wanted to uh, accomplish and as a player and, and obviously, you know, want to, would love to be a part of a winner, uh, winning a World Series in the big leagues as a coach or a manager. That would be really cool. But uh just love the game. I love to have fun. I love to be around the guys. And um, it's been baseball. It's been just, uh, you know, amazing part of my life. Yeah, I, I know you have the ability to be intense, but I, uh, you, you do keep it light. Hey, Red, I appreciate the time, man. Good good luck, obviously, the next couple of weeks in spring training. I will wave to you from afar until uh, we all get vaccinated. Uh, but uh, yeah. be- best of luck in 2021, man. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate it, man. And I can't wait for us to uh, all be at Coors Field uh, having fun on a beautiful day. And uh Hopefully, maybe one day without math. Exactly. Exactly. Well put, man. Have a good one. I'll talk to you, Red. Thanks. All right, Drew. Hope you enjoyed that as much as uh, I did visiting with Mike Redman. I love the stories of guys that weren't top draft picks and persevered. And what a great story. Before he got to the big leagues, you heard Mike say, you know, they gave him the option to to kind of retire and become a coach. And he said, no, I, I still want to give it a shot to make it. And he had to, had to go back to double A. And not only did he eventually make it, he stuck around for quite a while and then would become a big league manager. So I know the Rockies are fortunate to have Mike Redmond. And uh, he and Buddy have a, have a great relationship. Before we officially say goodbye for podcast number 88, Here is another name to remember. Now, this one's far down the road. Earlier, I gave you a few names of of guys that could impact the Rockies in the not-too-distant future. This guy I'm going to mention has not been to the States yet. In fact, he's not played his first professional game. But he was signed as an international free agent, teenager, from the Dominican Republic, Breon Perez. And uh, he also has been known as Breon Perez Volquez. He's the cousin of Edison Volquez, who's had a terrific big league career. And the reports are this guy, if everything falls right, could be a big-time pitching prospect for the Rockies, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, but it's still going to be a few years down the road. You have to go through the development process. Heck, he just turned 17, so we're talking. We're still talking about a kid. But this is a guy that's already mid to upper 90s from the right side, has the ability to spin it, has a real presence already and, and maturity on the mound. So kind of tuck that one away and uh, remember where you heard it uh, first. So... Uh, that's our 88th edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us. Spread the word. Uh, I hope to. Uh, I hope you catch the DNVR guys uh, each week. They're good friends. They do a great job on a daily podcast for DNVR. That's Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. I join them uh, once a week, and they'll keep you up to date on everything having to do with the club uh, every day of the year, not just during the baseball season. You guys have a great week. We appreciate you uh, being involved with us. And uh, as I said, spread the good word and stay well. Talk soon. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment that helps other people find the show. 